to the Driven by Diversity podcast. I'm Mariana. And I'm Steph. And every week we shine the spotlight on underrepresented groups in the world of racing. Our guests share their journey into the sport and also delve into what diversity and inclusion means to them. We hope that we can provide you with real role models who you can relate to and who represent you. And more than that, that you'll feel inspired and encouraged to know that you can make it in motorsport, no matter your background. Now, if you're an F1 regular, you'll likely recognise this mechanic from those tense in-race moments captured in the Red Bull garage, or more positively, cheering on Max Verstappen from the pit wall as he crosses the line. Today, we're hearing all about what life is like as a senior power unit technician at one of Formula One's top teams, where he is also part of the world record-holding pit stop crew, who smashed a 1.82 second stop at the 2019 Brazilian Grand Prix. With diversity in the industry important to him, he has had some involvement with the Hamilton Commission's ongoing research and is also an advocate for apprenticeships as a tool for widening access, which we discuss in this episode. Get comfy as we head into our chat with Callum Nicholas. Callum, to start with, can you tell us about your role within Red Bull Racing? Yep, I am the senior power unit technician uh, trackside. So I deal with the build and the service of all of our race and test power units, um, dyno power units, and all of their ancillary systems. So water cooling systems, exhaust systems, etc. Very interesting. I don't think we've had anyone from that role on the podcast before. Can you tell us about how your role differs then from when you're at the track on race weekends to off seasons and even just in between race weekends? How does it differ? Um, well, I mean, at the moment, in between race weekends, I am sat at home. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good point. That's, that's all I'm allowed to do. Um, but no, normally, um, you'd be in the factory, um, especially during European season, you'd be back in the factory, you'd be reprepping all the parts, um, building the systems back up, getting them ready to to run at the following race weekend. Um, you'd be in there for pit stop practice, um, functional fitness, uh, allocated gym time. Oh. <laughs> yeah, bit of that. Um, that's about it, really. Um, when I'm at the track, obviously, it's not quite as laid back. It's pretty, pretty much full on. Yeah, I mean, it's early starts from Wednesday all the way through to Sunday, um, usually late finishes, and it is just, yeah, it's it's full on, but we love it. <laughs> Do you work on a specific car then when you're, when you're at the track during the season, or are you sort of split across the two? How does your role work in that sense? Um, so with my role, um, I build the, the power units for both cars. Okay. Um, so yeah, both sides of the garage. Um, that's all my responsibility. Um, in the garage, uh, this year I'll be on Checo's car. Mm-hmm. So in the garage, uh, just, you know, running the car during the sessions, uh, tyres, uh, whatever else the car needs throughout the session, yeah, I'll be on Checo's car. But obviously, um, you know, realistically, what applies to all the garages, if, if, if help's needed from one car to the other, there's always people there that will jump over either side. Fab star. Your role is amazing because it takes you to so many places. Um, you get to see so many countries, cities, cultures, etc. But what is, what would you say is one of the best things that you enjoy about your job, whether that is sort of like the on season or whether it's more to do with like the actual role itself? Um, I don't know. It's tough. I, I think it's a bit of all of it. Um, there are days when you've really had enough. You know, there are days when it's, the workload's been immense and you're tired. 
but I think you always get to Sunday or, you know, a great Saturday and that's all it takes is, you know, one good result and mm. you're back up there and you're, you're flying again. So, yeah, I think for me, it's going to be, I, I guess it's the racing, you know, it's, it's the racing of it. Um, I love what I do in terms of the build and the technical aspects, but I guess, yeah, the passion for me is, is to see a car go out there and, and win a race, try and win a championship. The pure racing aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I love that. But you touched on there some of the days where, you know, you're feeling a bit down, you might be feeling a bit fed up and probably tired and exhausted from all of the traveling and everything. How do you deal with those sorts of days? How do you deal with those times where you're feeling just like overwhelmed, stressed, things aren't going right? What do you do to, other than a good result on track, what do you do to get your head back in the game? You know, it's, it's, it's hard. Me, me, I listen to music. That's, that's what I do for me. Um, I've always got a playlist that will pick me back up. Or one that will put me to sleep. Going to sleep <laughs> always, always a win. You know, you take the small, you take the small victories when you're away. You know, you get a room, hotel room with a really nice big bath, or you know, something <laughs> like that. You, you you find anything. You got to wind down. Um, but yeah, I mean, look. At the end of the day, you leave the garage. The day's been the day. You close the doors. You get back, and you just try and pick it up again the next day. And that's that's sort of the mentality of it. You know, you can you can have down days. Everyone has down days. Thankfully, you know, you've got your, your teammates will always normally uh, carry you when you need it. But at, at some point, you've just got to pick back up and get going, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sport definitely has some low lows, but also some really high highs. Um, Absolutely. One of the highlights I can imagine for you is being um, a world record holder with the with the pit stop crew. Can you talk us more about that? Talk us through how that came about. Yeah, you know what? That was I, I, one of the reasons when I first started racing was obviously I always said to myself, that, you know, the little goals that you set yourself throughout your career. And one of those little goals was to do F1 pit stops. Um, and I got the chance when I first joined my Russia before I was at Red Bull. Um, and then when I got to Red Bull and the, the pit stop game really you know, started to step it up a notch and and obviously you respond to that and, you know, you work harder at it and you get there and you get there and then you get to this point where you're like, we can, we can beat that record, you know, and then you beat it and then you say to yourself, yeah, but oh, I looked at the footage and I tell you what, that could have been quicker, <laughs> you know, and, and this is, this is exactly what happens, you know, so, you know, you get that record down to wherever it was at 2.02 and then at 1.92 and now we're down at 1.82 and I tell you what, we're still in the garage, we look at footage and we go, you know what, that could have been 1.7, <laughs> you know, and that's, and that's the way it's always going to be, that is, that is, it is addictive. Yeah, definitely, sure. chasing down those tents. Yeah. adrenaline yeah, yeah adrenaline you know it's it, that's all it is you know you hear the 15 second call you get out there and you know you've got under two seconds hopefully to get the job done that's madness I can't even imagine the buzz that gives you that that's crazy um is that something that you still do now then are you still part yeah, of the pit I still do now yeah I pull the left front wheel off um let's talk about challenges in your role is there anything that you have particularly sort of faced obviously we've just talked about highlights but are there any is there anything that you have found really tough within your role and how have you sort of come to overcome that um you know what since since I've been since I've been a rebel I think that not only have like I mean I've excelled since I got there anyway but I think that it was very different to how I felt about the industry before I got here 
you know, like there, whereas before I might have felt like there were certain things that were holding me back or not letting me achieve to my full potential. I've sort of, I've never really felt that, you know, of late. I guess I, I've been a bit lucky, but I've also worked towards it. And, and, and it's been, it's been mainly, a, you know, the last, the latest part of my career has been a career of highlights. I can, I can, I can give you loads of them, you know, low lights, low, lows. I can, I can tell you, you know, I've had bad weekends, bad race weekends, you know, there's things that have not gone well. And I think, you know, for me, obviously the lowest in my career was, was the weekend with, with Jules. Um, I was the rear mechanic on Jules Bianchi's car. And that is still, obviously, for me, that's more than one of the worst days of my career. It's, mm. you know, one of the worst days of my life. Mm. Um, I think, you know, it's still something I think about often. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that, that's my low, you know. Mm. And thankfully, I haven't had to, I haven't had to look back and, and think that I've got another one of those. Yeah, that's yeah. a devastating, a devastating loss, obviously, to the sport. And I can imagine how hard that hit you being so close to him. But I am glad to hear that looking back over the more recent years of your career, that you're in an environment where you're able to excel and, you know, keep challenging yourself, keep improving. Um, and also, it sounds like you have a very healthy mindset in terms of when the day's over, that's those challenges done and you move on and you turn up the next day and give it your best. So, very glad to hear that it's such a healthy environment there. Um, but looking back at how you actually got to where you are now, can you talk us through the steps that you took to get into Formula One? Um, take us on a little trip down memory lane. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, absolutely. So I consider myself, I was sort of late. I felt like I was late to motorsport. Mm. Um, I didn't get my first motorsport job as an apprentice until I was until I was 20. So I, um, when I left school, I did my A-levels um, completely unrelated to engineering in any way, shape or form. But I knew that I wanted to work with my hands. I got a job working at a local, a local garage and fixing, you know, servicing people's Renault Clios, whatever, getting my hands dirty, you know, like that was where I, you know, I learned my trade, if you like. You know, it was, it was getting hands on, getting dirty um, on, on road cars. And then... Um, I actually got made uh, redundant, which was nice, but that was the point at which, but no, no, but that was in fairness. That was, that was the reason I, I ended up in motorsport. I, I realized that I was going to have to go back and study if I wanted to carry on being a mechanic and sort of progress as a career. Um, and I, I discovered the national college for motorsport um, mm -hmm. at Silverstone circuit. Mm. Now, I mean, that was, yeah, just over 10 years ago now, but that was, at that time, they only had they only took sixty students a year, and I applied, and they were like, "Well, we're not sure. You're, you know, you'd be a mature student." And, and I was at the time, you know, I was at college with with kids who were 16, 17, 18, and I was I was twenty, nearly twenty one, and it wasn't that I was I was learning anything that I didn't know, but it was I was I was there just doing what I needed to do to get those qualifications, and and the great thing of the of the college at the time was that that was where all the junior teams that were based in and around Silverstone um, came looking for apprentices. Mm. So going to the college was the opportunity that, that got me into my first race team. Um, and that was a team called Status at the time. Um, it was a GP3 team. 
And I started off as an apprentice there. Eventually, they took me on full-time as a number two mechanic. I ended up, we, we did end up doing a joint project where I got to do, I did two Le Mans 24 hours while I was at Status. Cool. So experience for me there was amazing. Le Mans is still one of my favorite events. Um, I recommend it to any mechanic. Do it, get through a Le Mans, you know, 40 minutes sleep at a time <laughs> in between pit stops and loads of cans of Red Bull. So yeah, do, do a Le Mans. Um, that'd be, yeah, that was the real career changer for me. After doing that, I kind of knew that I wanted to carry on. And uh, while I was at Status, I got an opportunity to join Marussia, um, factory-based, doing sub-assembly. So that was my first experience of sort of um, F1. And it was, it was a perfect start because it was such a small team at the time. Um, it was a two-man department. So you're doing sub-assembly and everything from pit stop wheel guns to car wishbones to hydraulic systems. You know, you ended up doing so much, even as, you know, a junior, like essentially a junior technician at the time. Um, and I was there for a year um, before I got an opportunity to go racing as the rear ender there. And that was sort of, yeah, that, at the time I, I probably wasn't ready. I was, you know, I was still really green. I hadn't, I hadn't travelled for work at all. You know, I'm still in my early 20s, um, but I, you learn quick, you know, and I learned, I learned quick and I soon got used to the lifestyle because at the time, you know, I was, I was still young and single and it was, it was brilliant. You know, I was, I was flying around the world and everything was, was, was brilliant, you know, at the time. And uh, yeah, that was, so obviously that was my first taste of F1 life. Um, and then when the company went under, I was at the end of 2014, I was, you know, just frantically trying to, to find a way to stay in F1. You know, there, was, there, there would have been opportunities to go elsewhere and do other stuff. But, you know, I just got my first taste of it and I, and I, was, I was determined. And I remember sending CVs out to, to every team, you know, and a few teams at the time got back to me and I, I had a couple of interviews. But I went to the Red Bull interview, um, I think it was Jan or maybe December 2014, um, and I remember doing the interview there and it was with uh, a couple of the chief mechanics and one of the team managers. And uh, I remember being super nervous going to this interview. It was, it was like, I don't know, it was, it, it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like at the time that it was going to be any different from Marasha F1. And then you get there and you walk onto this amazing campus and all of a sudden mm. you're like, ah, oh, so this is real F1. <laughs> <laughs> Playing with the big boys. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was a real eye-opener. You know, I thought I was already living the dream. And, and then I was like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah. And uh, Red Bull was, was, I don't know, it was, it was always, I think it was always the team that I, I, I really wanted to get the job out more than anywhere else. I think I knew that, that the ethos and the sort of drive, I think that that was going to be perfect for me. And uh, it turns out it has been. So a bit of luck along the way. Brilliant. That's really cool. Um, thank you for walking us through that. That's really nice to hear as well that you sort of, it wasn't sort of planned from the beginning. So you were doing a bit of um, work initially and then decided, you know, you wanted to go to National College of Motorsport. Um, so I think that's nice that it shows some of the people listening who might want to follow a similar career path that they don't quite need to know what they want to do like as soon as they leave school or whilst they're at school that they can obviously change their minds and there are other options and other routes into the industry what was it that initially attracted you to make that change and 
and go into motorsport obviously I know you said that you got made redundant but was that always in the back of your mind that you wanted to work in motorsport or was it just a change in circumstances that led you to start thinking about the different routes that you could take within the field that you were in? Do you know what I think a little bit of both you know the change in circumstances just led me to needing to get the qualifications for a job Mm. I'd need you know Mm. um, I think my interest in racing um, I, I happened to be, it was, I think, in 2009 that I went to actually my first Grand Prix, which was at Silverstone. Um, so it was about the same time as I, that I was thinking of going to college. Um, and I guess I guess that would have been the experience that said, you know what, you know, I remember doing the pit walk and looking at the mechanics in the garage and, on Sunday morning. And, and I think that that would have been the first spark that said, you know what, I think I can do that. You know, I think I, think I can do that. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily until I started doing the work that I fell in love with it. Okay. You know, at first it was, you know, I went to college thinking, you know, I can get these qualifications and regardless if I want to do racing or if I want to go into somewhere else in engineering, I'll have these qualifications. Yeah. You know, but I think once I started doing the work, I think, yeah, at that point there was, it was pretty clear yeah. to me that, that that was what I was going to do. But in terms of, yeah, in terms of sparking my interest, I guess, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was a petrol head anyway. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I was, was going to, I was always going to end up going fast. So, yeah. <laughs> so what was it that initially drew you to cars then right at the beginning, like let alone motorsport, just that you know, kind of. That I couldn't tell you. Neither, <laughs> neither of my parents are in any way interested in, in, in fast cars or engineering. <laughs> like neither, no, not really. Like neither of them could care less. You know, they just want it to work. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't, I couldn't really tell you. I think that's good to know though, that, you know, ultimately it was your skill and your talent and your hard work that got you into the industry. Because a lot of the time when we, Steph and I are talking to people, we do try to emphasize that, you know, your love and your passion for motorsport is one thing, but you have to have the skill and talent to get you there. And, you know, you're the perfect example of that. That's what gets you the job. That's what gets you the foot in the door, not the fact that, you know, you you love cars or you love racing. Um, that only, no, no. that's a supplement, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to you have to do the work. Yeah, exactly. You have to be, you know, best of the best. It's um, the pinnacle of motorsport. But um, often with motorsport and F1, the first step into the industry as a whole starts with, exposure so you know whether that's being introduced to it by someone experiencing it yourself seeing it on tv whatever it might be but it's not a secret that formula one and motorsport more widely does not have a lot of representation within the industry so did you find yourself that the lack of relatable role models when you did look into f1 and motorsport did you find that ever put you off or was a barrier to you feeling like it was a career path for you to pursue that, you know, you're absolutely right. This whole thing of, you know, you don't see people who look like you doing a job, so you don't aspire to do it. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, obviously, because then for the next generation feels the same way. And But, um, okay, so for me, it was when I started, when I started uh, a career in motorsport, when I was first an apprentice, I, I was at, I was at college with, with one other black student, um, who doesn't work in motorsport anymore. He's far more successful than me. Um, but, <laughs> but no, but um, this, and, and and it was always a thing, you know, in terms of, 
I, I had plenty of discussions with the smaller teams that I work with, and they, and it was it was never it was never like, oh, black people just don't do these jobs. It was always more like, how? Why is it? You know, why is it that you know black people don't apply for these jobs? Because the the same is true now um, in F one as it is back all the way through through the motorsport industry, all the way through engineering as well. And so when you look at you know people from ethnic minorities and women applying for these jobs, they're not they're not applying for them, you know. And mm. and and there's a huge image thing. The the, the, the sport's been so successful at um, promoting itself for its entertainment value. I don't. I don't think it's been that successful in actually uh, advertising itself in terms of careers. You know, I mean, I I could tell people my job title, but they, they'd have absolutely no idea what what I did. You know, and I think I think especially if you ever look at a motorsport jobs page, you look at you look at the job listings and and the titles are all slightly different, but then you look at the job description and they basically all the same yeah. say the same thing. You know, we're looking for someone hardworking and dedicated to look at this logistics, rah rah rah. Anyway, you know, there's no. It's I think I think the sport's never been good at actually, um, you know, expressing to young people coming up in engineering. Uh, education what these jobs entail you know what are the options for you you can with these degrees you can do all of these jobs and these are the opportunities that are there I think the sport's just been generally quite lazy you know I think and I think it is a little bit of you know laziness because I think it's about like you say we say F1's the pinnacle of motorsport and you know I think it's become like that I think it's become like well you know it's up to those people if they, if you know, it's up to those people. If they, if they, if they really want a job, they they can, you know, find out about it like everyone else. But I think, you know, when we start to break down the reasons why people don't see these opportunities, it will become a lot clearer. It will become a lot clearer that um, actually, it's just that you're not you're not putting it out there. You know, you you're not really making these these things available for for everyone to to see what they need to do to get them. Yeah, I think another point to add on that is I think when you're in that paddock, when you're in that world of Formula One, for example, it's quite insular. You're in a bubble. So, mm. you know, time and time again, I see it. I, we watched a video of you on YouTube, 60 seconds, my role in 60 seconds. <laughs> All the comments underneath are like, oh, tell us more about this guy. Tell us more about, well, I want more than 60 seconds. I want to know all about his role. And I see it everywhere with all different um, things where teams have done bits like that. People just want to know about all of these different roles, whether it's, you know, uh, your role or whether it's in marketing or hospitality or in engineering. They want to know more about the people that work in the sport. They want to get closer to the sport, whether that's just because they're a fan and they love it or whether that's because they are seriously considering pursuing a role in the industry. They want to know more, but I think when you're in that bubble, you just think, why does anyone care? Why does anyone want to know what I do? But it, it, yeah, you're right. They're messing a trick with it because mm. it's something that is very important, actually, to for other people coming up to know what is available and what is out this there. This is it. I mean, like I said, you know, I, I was, I, I consider myself, you know, a, a late student, you know, a late career in motorsport. I look at some of the guys that I work with now, and, and the vast majority of them, they've been doing it since they were 16. Mm-hmm. You know, started as apprentices and and and. And I, I always consider that I started late. But when I look back, even though I was, you know, I was really fortunate. I grew up in North London, but I was really fortunate. I went to a, a really good school and, I, you know, what would be considered a good education. But at no point 
through my education was I ever pushed towards doing, you know, any sort of engineering or any sort of technical or hands-on role. You know, that was never sort of pointed out as an option to me, whether it be just in any of the engineering sector, but certainly not from motor racing or, or you know, Formula One. And I think I think I think if you if you, if we were to go in schools now, I think it, I think it's it's still quite similar. Yeah. You know, I just don't think we're doing a great job of enticing people into the industry. Yeah, and I think everyone misses out as a result of that because yeah. we can't be sure that we're getting the best talent because the best talent might not realise that that's a career to pursue, and um, people don't feel comfortable or might not even be aware of the roles out there and. They're missing out on the amazing industry and opportunities that Formula One and motorsport offers. So it is definitely something that we do need to pay more attention to. And as Steph said, there is such an interest in the people that make Formula One happen, not just the drivers on the track, but the actual people in the paddock, back in the offices. Uh, but we don't shine enough of a light on them, which is a shame. It's a real shame. And the jobs are so vast. You know, yeah. there are yeah. so many jobs. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's such a wide-ranging industry. You know, like every, you know, it, you know, even when you begin to think of the 60 operational personnel we are allowed to have at the track, you know, to run two cars, we've got 60 operational personnel. Those are 60 individual jobs, you know, just in that one team. And then you look at all the staff back at the factories, and it's such a huge range of things that you can do, that you can study, that you can do to get to work. If you want to work in this industry, if you want to work in racing, it's such a huge amount of stuff. And I just think, we need, yeah, we, can, we need to do better at advertising it. Definitely. We definitely do. But looking at some of the wider initiatives that we are seeing in the industry at the moment in terms of improving diversity and inclusion within the industry. So we have the We Race as One campaign, obviously. We have the Hamilton Commission. Mercedes have been quite vocal about some of the different projects and everything that they're getting involved with and other things popping up. What are your thoughts on these sorts of initiatives? I, I know that you've had some involvement within the Hamilton Commission, but what, is, what are your thoughts as a whole? Look, I've, I've been in this in this paddock now for the best part of a decade, and 2020 was the first time we spoke about it. You know, so I think from where we were for the last 10 years to even be where we're at now is a good start. The fact the fact that people are actually talking about the fact that there are issues, um, that that is a disparity when you look at the both the ethnicity and the gender of people working in the paddock. I think that when we when we start start being honest about it, that's at least a start. So um, yeah, as you said, look, I've, I've I've spoken to people involved with the Hamilton Commission. I know that we're waiting on that report later this year. Um, I think it's going to be really important to to see what to see what they report before we start jumping to saying, oh, we're going to do this and that and the other. Because I think I think the report is going to be really focused on getting to the core issues of opportunity, which is essentially the most important thing, in my opinion, to try and understand. I think that when you look at the sport and you look at the demographic that makes up the paddock, it's, it's more about going to be socioeconomic issues, um, geographic issues. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a simple thing, but when you look at um, motorsport teams in the UK and where they're based, by their nature, they're all based in rural areas. You know, we've got this middle bit of England that's like motorsport country and everyone's based there. And then, you know, you look at ethnic minorities and, you know, you look at the numbers in terms of where ethnic minorities choose to live, they're in urban areas, mm -hmm. you know, 
and and already there's that that you know you don't think of it as a barrier but it, but it just is in yeah. terms of yeah. you've already created a situation where anybody who lives in those areas which happens to be a large percentage of the black and ethnic minority community that that's already adding a, a travel barrier you know if yeah. you think about it they're really you know they they seem insignificant but all of these things start to add up so i think we need to we need to see the report and see what they what they say about all these barriers to opportunity and i'm sure that they'll make recommendations to the sport and i think at that point it will be up to the, the management of the sport and the teams to come together and say look these are the things that we need to do whatever that whatever those recommendations might be so at the moment i think it's i think it's great that teams are saying you know we we are going to do this and we're going to start i know mercedes announced that they they they're going to have an engineering academy of, mm-hmm. of some sort which is it, it's brilliant i think it's brilliant the teams are committing and and really taking a stand but um i think that the, the report for me is going to be the most important thing for us i think we need to just see what the report says we need to understand it and and really look at making a plan for the whole sport to to have lasting change i think you know knee jerk reactions they don't last you know they don't they don't produce any lasting change you know they might make the cameras look different for a season or two but you know if we if we really want to entice future generations to to take part in in the sport i think that it's going to be important to make lasting change with everybody involved yeah definitely fundamental changes is needed not just a, a quick fix or a quick um plaster to plaster up the problem and i think that one of the other really good things about the hamilton commission that we don't know that much about it but from what we do know is it seems to be actually talking to the individuals from these underrepresented groups and gaining insight from those people which is so so crucial to making real effective change because you can't really guarantee that it's gonna do a good job if you haven't spoken to the people that are most affected by the lack of diversity so i'm really looking forward to the report as well excited to see what they come out with and also what will what will happen as a result like you've said from a personal perspective are there any action steps or things that you would like to see involved based on your experience or what you have seen being inside of the paddock? Obviously, like you said, we do need to wait for the report to have more you know, insight and proper grittiness to, to the details. But are there any things that you can suggest or think of yourself? For me personally, just on, a, on an overall thing, I've always been a big fan of apprenticeships. Um, and I think that over the years what's happened not just in not just in motorsport but i think across the board apprenticeships have been tied up in so much bureaucracy and red tape now that especially for smaller companies i know for smaller race teams it becomes such a chore for them to have an apprentice with them and especially to travel that it, it especially for the smaller teams and smaller companies it becomes it becomes not worth it almost you know um Look, I look around the garage that I work in and I can tell you that, you know, very few of those people, other than other than our engineers, very few of the guys working on the car have university degrees. We all learned our trade by doing the work with our hands, you know, and a lot of us would have started as apprenticeships, as, you know, or weekend warriors, you know, blokes that go to teams and just help out on a weekend to, to learn a little bit. You know, that's where we all started out is working with our hands. So something that for me, I'd like to see the sport do as a whole is to try and make a bit of a, a better commitment towards apprenticeships. Yeah, for sure. I think that's um, that's really important. And it's, it's a good point that you bring up about it being traditionally seen as 
embroiled in this red tape and employers don't really want to get involved in apprenticeships because they think it's too much work for them but really it can pay dividends with the benefits that it can bring for the future generation so I think there's the wider picture that we need to look at but also I think it's important to say to anyone listening who who wants to follow you know what you do in your field is that they don't always have to start at Formula One they don't have to start in F1 like that is the top step like you know, you can work your way up and do exactly as you did. Sort of work with your hands at just a, a standard mechanic shop or whatever and, and work your way up. So, yeah, I think that's that's important to know as well. But let's talk about why you are a champion for diversity. Why is it important? What's so good about diversity inclusion? I mean, we know the answer, but we want to hear it from yeah. you. Okay, I guess, I guess for me, um, everything sort of obviously changed for me a couple of years ago when I had my daughter. Um, I guess I look at her now and I think I want her to have better, the same but better opportunities than I was, you know, I would have. And I, and I look, if, if she wanted to have a career in motorsport, would I want her to try and have to start her career in motorsport right now? And the answer is no. I'd like it. I'd like her to be able to start it in 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 perhaps a, a, a fairer situation. So I guess I guess that's one of the big things for me. Um, my my the other thing for me is that my dad was a big inspiration to me. My dad, uh, my dad's career was pretty much all revolved around helping others. Um, he uh, he was the first uh, chief exec for black and ethnic minority members of the fire brigades union, and he spent he spent a lot of his career doing this kind of work. So as I've got older, you know, I look at I look at what he's achieved, and I guess I guess that's why it's become more important to me. I've got big boots to fill. So. <laughs> Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, those two things really. I, I want. I want a better world for our kids, you know. And and really, yeah, I've got some big boots to fill and try and do half the work my dad did. Brilliant to have had the opportunity to speak with Callum there. Little side story for you. He actually came to us and asked if he could share his story and come on the pod, as it's something that's so important to him. But little did he know that we were actually about to approach him anyway. We'd seen just how passionate he is about diversity and equality on a wider scale. So it's so great to have helped provide a platform for him to talk about these topics. Thank you, Callum, for taking the time to sit down with us, but also to Red Bull for agreeing to the episode. Although this chat wasn't about the team itself, it's still fantastic to have another team in F1 on the pod, showing that they acknowledge just how important it is to their employees that they are given the opportunity to use their voice for change and to inspire others. Also, it's so great hearing how he's been involved with the Hamilton Commission. I'm really looking forward to that report coming out. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the Hamilton Commission come out with too. And it was great to hear another perspective in terms of roles in the industry. We haven't yet had a mechanic on to talk about their job. It was positive to hear of Callum's route into the industry and how there are always ways to make it in if you can prove your talent and skill along with the dedication and hard work, which goes without saying, of course. Anyone dreaming of one day being in the F1 garage, getting those cars on the track, check out the National College for Motorsport that Callum mentioned. And linking to that, apprenticeships are definitely something to consider for both anyone wanting to go into this as a career, but also employers looking for ways they can be engaging with the next generation to make the sport and the industry more accessible for them. Away from that, with Callum's dad being the first chief exec for black and minority ethnic members of the Fire Brigades Union and wanting a fairer world for his daughter to grow up in, it's so nice that he has both of these from completely different generations as motivators to keep pushing for equal opportunities. 
Now, as we head into the new season, if you want to see more of the sort of behind the scenes pit stop crew life, check out Callum on socials at F1 Mech. Whilst you're there, give us a follow on Insta as well at We Are Driven by Diversity. And if you've gotten this far, thank you so much for tuning in to yet another one of our podcasts. We hope you found it inspiring. Without knowing it, you've just listened to what was our last episode for now. Steph and I will be back next week to round things off whilst we head off to work on some exciting projects, but I'm sure we'll be back in the not-too-distant future. The drive for greater diversity in our sport isn't over, and on that bombshell, see you on Tuesday. Tuesday.